Hey, folks, you know, I always said we bring the heavy hitters in here. We always try to bring the best for everybody that hang out and listen to some amazing stories. Why not bring somebody from Baltimore, from the area? Come on. We got to have the heavy hitters here. And the next voice you hear would be Donna Burston, the CEO and founder of Lafette Rosé. OpenWorks is Baltimore's largest makerspace, offering access to tools ranging from 3D printers to welder and training in how to use them. OpenWorks also offers affordable studio space, a coffee shop, and fun-free events throughout the year. But OpenWorks is more than a public workshop. It's a community of creative professionals, students, seniors, entrepreneurs, and makers of all kinds. Check out the website at www.openworksbmore.org or Instagram at open underscore works underscore be more for class schedules membership options and more pandora's box is a mod vibrant woman-owned lifestyle boutique located in historic federal hill neighborhood of baltimore maryland pandora's box offers a unique selection of the latest trends jewelry gifts home decor and personal accessories their products are high quality affordable price and hand-picked with a sense of humor and authenticity, making them items that everyone can relate to. They are known for sourcing memorable and relevant keepsakes that allow customers to give from their hearts without the stress that comes with doing so. You can count on Pandora's Box to help you select and package the perfect gift. Visit Pandora's Box at 50 East Cross Street, Baltimore, Maryland 21230 website pandorasboxboutique.com all social media handles at shop pandora's box boutique the no picks after dark podcast is proudly partnered with maggie's farm located at 4341 hartford road maggie's farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafels to scallops and everyone's favorites honey sriracha cauliflower wings Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, and for brunch, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. With delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. No Picks After Dark is sponsored by Snug Books an independent bookstore serving Northeast Baltimore and beyond. In addition to featuring new books for all ages, the store also carries cards, stationery, gifts, games, and more. Visit snugbooks.com to shop online, learn more about the store, read our latest newsletter, and find a calendar of events, or come browse the store in person. Snug Books is located at 4717 Harford Road, next to Zeke's Coffee in Hamilton, Laurelville. There is free parking behind the store, and open hours are Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. What's up, my man? How are you today? I'm good, man. How you feeling? Life is amazing. I have no complaints. Hey, I'm happy on No Picks of Dark Podcast. I'm happy you're hanging out with me today. I, like before we talk, I was like, "Hey, I gotta get this guy on," and I reached out. And I slid in your DMs like, "Hey, man, can I get on your show? Come on the show," and it happened. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. I've seen all the great things you've done in Baltimore with the podcast, and it's a pleasure. 
Hey, it's a blessing. It's a blessing every day. And, you know, we always try to give good stories for people can mm -hmm. listen to in the Baltimore DMV area so you can hear what's going on. So, all right, you're from the area. Where'd you go I'm to high school? Me. Where'd you go to high school? Tell us a little bit of back, a little background about you. Yes, I grew up primarily in Randallstown. So I, I did uh, later part of elementary school, middle school, and high school at, in Randallstown. Went to Randallstown Senior High School. Uh, my family is from West Baltimore, so everything from Liberty Heights and Garrison and Rogers Avenue. So strong ties to the West Side, uh, but definitely raised uh, out in Randallstown way back uh, when it was still like dirt roads, some there, country roads and farm animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you brought, I can't, there's a Hawaiian snowball stand out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so you know about, okay, the Hawaiian snowball stand on the right hand yeah, yeah. side going down Louis Road. So you know what I have. Absolutely. Yep. So crossing the McDonald's in the liquor store. Absolutely. You know, okay, so, you know <laughs> so my family, we grew up in Randallstown, but we lived um by Milford Mill Swimming Club. So yep. we lived up that up by Washington Avenue up that way. And so yep. I remember my dad, my uncle's farm was out that way by going out the dirt roads out that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely remember that. So like tell us a little bit about like you as far as like you went to school in Randallstown area. Then you end up going to college. Like, where'd you end up going to school, college? I, went, I left uh, Baltimore and went to Clark Atlanta University. I had never been to Atlanta before, but this was the height of the black college craze. So I was seeing it on TV with the sweatshirts and Martin and different world. <laughs> uh, and was a young lady that was about two years older than me who had gone to Clark. And that was the first time I heard about it. Um, but initially, I thought I was going to go to Howard or North Carolina A&T. And my friends didn't get accepted to A&T, so that changed plans. And I just ended up at Clark, sight unseen, mm. which was amazing. Mm, okay. And then you, then after college, did you come back to Baltimore, the D.C., the DMV area, or did you stay down there? No. Well, I graduated and I came home that summer, and I quickly realized, like, I missed Atlanta. So I packed up and came back uh, to Atlanta, and then I lived in Atlanta for 12 years after that, uh, working in IT consulting. Okay. And then so so I'm always, always ask every guest this. Growing yeah. up in the DMV, Baltimore area. What was your favorite childhood memory growing up around this area? Oh, it's a couple of things. I think um, one of the things I used to love was the lot growing up on Sunday nights and going down to Wabash Avenue and everyone's out there with their cars and they did a little bit of racing on Wabash and Northern Parkway. Yeah. Then we hit down to, uh, you know, in front of Odell's and all that stuff like that. Like that was just like a great summertime sort of thing. Um, but overall, I, I tell everybody now, I really appreciate it growing up in an area that, uh, was a part of like, and this is where I get a little nerdy, the 13 colonies and the history and the, and the, and the understanding of American history mm. uh, that we have. Like I'm a kind of a history buff and I see so many people and meet them from across the country who have no idea of like the American history and the depth of history that comes out of the Baltimore uh, DMV area. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. That is, wow, that is actually very surprising. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, so you're an IT field. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So IT field. I, I mean, and I'm thinking you were doing the IT boom when the, the early yeah, oh yeah. dot nets, yeah. dot coms are blowing up and stuff like that. Yeah. Were you drinking rose or? No, no, no. I was I was actually I, I shouldn't say trick, but you know how you, you graduate high school, and you're good at something in freshman year and everyone says this is the career path you should take. Right. right. So I was semi good at math and science. So they were like, oh, you have to be an engineer. So. Of course, I just listened to what everybody else was telling me and jumped into it. Uh, but I, I found out pretty early on I didn't want to do that full time, but it was kind of like too late. My mother was like, either you're going to finish or give me my money back. So it was kind of like, OK. <laughs> you know, it sounds like my parents they were like, listen, you got four years. Yeah. <laughs> After that four years, guess what? We're not paying anything. And I was, exactly. like, and I was sweating out to the last month. Like, 
I hope I, I, I they like you, you better get out because we're not paying for no more. So I get so the IT, yeah. so I remember that was a booming thing and whatnot. Who, yep. what company did you work for when you first started doing when you got into that? I was working for Price Waterhouse Coopers, okay. Uh, I was doing healthcare consulting, so traveling around the country, figuring out operating room systems, etc. Uh, sounds great, but we were literally in the basement of hospitals oh, wow. like, programming all day and night, so it wasn't so glamorous, which is the part I didn't like because I always felt like you know I'm a social person, you can't have me trapped in a dungeon plugging away at code <laughs> so like all right so you, you're doing the it thing um like i mean i guess what were you ever in nightlife going out like you know in the scene like just trying to feel out like where did you were you ever was anybody in your family a wine yeah. drinker was anybody no. your friends in wine i mean drinker? yeah let's go there i mean i know certain type of wines but like yeah yeah <laughs> I'm like hold on we're talking about this type of wine we're talking about this type of wine. Thunderbird count because yeah no <laughs> now, my cousins and them used to drink Thunderbird so I know <laughs> it was a Cisco or uh, Crisco yeah. or, or all that Alize I don't know all that stuff <laughs> um, but yeah nobody in my family um, really were into wine or anything like that um, and I I did when I was in Atlanta it was like the boom in the music industry during that time in Atlanta so everything was about going out mm. and nightlife so what I was really attracted to the wine and spirits industry was because it was like the perfect hybrid between like the music industry and like business, so to speak. So, you know, I saw all the alcohol brands doing all the album release parties. And this, this is before, this is at the beginning when celebrities started getting paid to come to nightclubs. So it was always a, a liquor brand sponsoring that. Mm. So I wanted to be in the music industry. I thought doing events, but then I had a segue into the wine and spirits industry. And I was just like, oh, I actually like this a lot better. Mm. Okay. So like when you start getting introduced to the wine and spirits, did you ever think, that this would be a career going forward with you or, or is it just like you're just like i got my it that's paying the bills um, but this is kind of fun i like this more but i gotta stick I can, you know old-fashioned yeah. way my parents were like stick with paying the bills keep on you know yeah. don't leave don't leave your job stick you know that's the old way of thinking. Yeah. that's how we were brought up how about yourself when you were like diddle dabbling like you, you got your main nine to five but then other things started to open doors yeah, I mean, I started to do a little bit more projects in the wine and spirits industry. And then around the same time is when 9-11 happened. Okay. So during that time is when companies were offering uh, severance packages. So I raised my hand quick. So that was my way of getting out of it. Uh, but after that, I had a, I just worked a bunch of side odd jobs for different brands and different event planning companies just to survive because I knew I wanted to stick with that career path and was never going back to IT consulting. So it was a bunch of hodgepodge of jobs bouncing around before I got that one main uh, liquor brand job at that time working for Hennessy and Moet. Okay. So when you got that main job, I mean, we're, we're going to switch a little bit to gears. You went, and I read you work, you were working in France for a little bit or did, or did no, no. So I, um, so I started in Atlanta as the Moet, Chandon and Hennessy Cognac ambassador. Okay. This was like 2002, three, they were looking to really, penetrate the African-American community here in Atlanta with the music industry and all that. So I was hired as the ambassador for that here in the city. Okay. Uh, and then I worked a, a number of jobs with them. I left and went to Heineken for a year, mm. realized I didn't want to do beer, then went back to Moa Hennessy on Hennessy Cognac, this time working in Miami. Um, and then I did like a 10 year stint down there on various different brands uh, before going to work for uh, Ace of Spades, um, Jay-Z Champagne. And that's when I was in France a lot uh, meeting. Well, I was in France before with Moa Hennessy drinking rosé, but then I met the owner of the rosé later on while working for Ace. Wow, that that that's that's wow. So yeah. I'm thinking like, all right, you're 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 working for Moe Hennessy, yeah. and 
rosé. They have a they have a rosé, obviously, for for a sparkling rosé. Yeah. And when you first, do you remember the first time you had rosé and you were like, "All right, this you got there. There's something here." Like, do you remember that first time? It's always I remember the first time you like you tasted something like, "Yeah, this is this is all right." Uh, the first time I had still rosé wine was in France for my 30th birthday party. So I went to Saint-Tropez. Puff had the song, you ever been to Saint-Tropez? Mm -hmm. Fast forward, I'm like, I'm going to Saint-Tropez for my birthday. <laughs> uh, never been, didn't know how to get there, anything like that. But I figured it out. And I went to this beach club and everyone was drinking um, this wine and wine glasses and putting ice cubes in it. The party was just going. And I was like, oh, snap. Mm -hmm. And my, my uh, co-worker in France at the time was kind of showing us around and he poured it in my glass. And I think for me, it was more of a nostalgic thing. It wasn't about what I was actually drinking. It was just about the vibe, like where I was, who I was with, what I was doing. <laughs> so it just became like my thing from that moment. Wow. Wow. So then from that point on, you're like, all right, this tastes really good. This, people are drinking over here, you know, but it wasn't marketed towards anybody that looked like me or you during that time period. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, listen, when it first started, it was all about the housewives and, and you know, the Hamptons and and those to the area, it really was marketed towards, um, you know, a certain demographic of community. It wasn't even men for that matter. It wasn't even about color. It was just female oriented. Um, and that lasted for about seven years. It didn't really change until we came around really in a, in a meaningful way. way. But yeah, I just saw that as like, that's crazy. Cause we all, when we were in France, we were all in France, a group of friends, diverse, whatever. We were all drinking rosé, but when we came to the States, it was just like, you know, what is this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we used to we used to be popping my way and it was a, a vu coco. That's yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny when I think about it, um, because I went to college, graduate in Syracuse and graduate 03. And then I remember really not even drinking rose, to be perfectly honest with you. I was drinking more or less like Vuv Coco and Moet. Yep. That was it. Yep. That was no rose at all. Um, I really introduced the rose probably until I went over to Spain. And that was okay. later on. That was like, now this is gonna be crazy. This is 2010. Yeah. That's how yeah. I look like. I mean, so seven years, and I was living right outside Manhattan. I lived on the Jersey yeah. Shore, but I still doesn't really it didn't resonate until I went to Spain. And I was like, what, what's this over here? And I was in Barcelona. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. this is all right. And like it's interesting. You we find things overseas. Correct. When we come back. Did you find that fascinating learning so much stuff over there that wasn't over here? As big yet? Yeah, and I think, listen, I worked for uh, a French company when I was working at Moet Domperion. So they we always had a lot of interaction with the French team and going over there. And it was always interesting to see culturally in terms of the beverage industry sometimes how much further ahead uh, they were into things and even packaging and ideas. So it, it was a great experience. And even now when I need some motivation, you know, travel. I mean, travel is the, the gateway to the world. And you can see things in other countries and put your twist on it and bring it back and change your perspective for sure. When you give to United Way, your gift could be the first spark of something bigger. It can help provide nutritious food for a family in need. Because eating healthy shouldn't be a luxury. It can help someone with housing challenges and be a catalyst for a new beginning. Because a safe space to call home is the foundation for building a better future. Give today. Spark something bigger. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself. And 
Try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Carver Communications, where we turn water into wine. What do successful companies like Nike and Microsoft have in common? They all have full-service public relations departments that fuel every aspect of their business. Bill Gates has repeatedly said, if I had one last dollar, I would spend it on PR. Smart business owners and executives understand that to grow their businesses and their brands, they need PR. That's where Carver PR comes in. Carver PR is one of the most premier PR agencies located in Washington, D.C. They handle media relations, marketing, branding, corporate strategy, and crisis. With 25 years in the communication field, they are well-versed in every area of business you can imagine. Political, entertainment, corporate, and nonprofit communications. Go to their website and check them out, therealcarver.com. Or reach out to them now at therealcarver at gmail.com. So let's talk a little bit about your company. Let's talk a little yes, let's, let's go into that. We got a little background of the history of everything and whatnot. So yeah. when did you realize you're like, listen, I, I can make I can make I want to start my own company because that's jumping out on that's jumping out there. <laughs> For Newark, that's jumping out me. I are you was your family have was your family entrepreneur? Did you have friends or entrepreneurs just jumping out there doing your own thing? Like, how did you get into that as far as starting your getting coming with a name and starting your own business? Uh, yeah. So in terms of entrepreneurs in my family, I did. I had my grandmother on my mother's side. She owned a casket company in Baltimore where she sold caskets to morticians. And then on my grandfather's side, he owned a chain of record stores in the 70s, 80s. Your record shop on Park Heights and, mm. and another one on Wabash. So the entrepreneurial spirit was there. Did I know I was going to be an entrepreneur doing all that? No. Uh, I'd be lying if I said yes. I think what really changed for me is uh, after being at Moa Henderson for so long, I knew I wanted to do something else. But then I took a job uh, working at Ace of Spades and working for you know Jay-Z, uh, Mr. Carter and his champagne brand. And just the way that he operated and we did things over there at that company really was what the inspiration was. And I'm like, listen, if this guy, hip hop or not, can shake up the champagne industry the way he did with Armand de Brignac. And seeing it was just a small team and seeing how much, you know, all of our collective contributions were really helping to make that brand go off to the next level. I was like, I can do this, too. I love that. It's, it's similar to I remember I was talking with Miss DSMs and she was talking about how she worked for uh, Puff Daddy or Puffy or P. Daddy or and he and he made she made they were she worked for Ciroc. She was like Ciroc. It was a lifestyle. It was the way you lived. And I remember, you know, this is when you're young and you just don't really understand, like going to the club. Buying bottles yeah. to rock, going to an apartment, yeah. rock, got the yeah. you know, and it was a lifestyle. And I wonder, is that what you could see you could translate with, with your with your company? Is that what you thought when you saw it is spades? And you're like, we can do this with Rose also. Is that how you absolutely. absolutely? Because what I saw is that Rose was still only marketed as this summertime thing, again, only for women, pink sundresses and flowers. And nobody was bringing like this sexy 
south of France, Mediterranean vibe mm -hmm. to it um, and not bringing the culture that we all provide. Like the beautiful thing about multiculturalism is it is a mixture and a vibe. And I wanted to bring that to the rosé space. So it was all about lifestyle for me. I mean, you know, working on lifestyle brands for the majority of my career, of course, like that's what I wanted to do to the rosé space and being an avid traveler and experiencing these things and lifestyle. And, you know, it, it was the DNA of the brand is that. So the name, where did that come from? Where did the name come from? Like, I'm, I'm sure you probably had like 15 different names or was it like the first name you had? Boom, that was it. Uh, two names. So I started off with Saint Tropez Rosé, okay. which is what I wanted to be. Uh, but unfortunately, the French laws, they were able to trademark Saint Tropez. I don't know how you trademark a city name. That would never happen in the United States, but in France. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They were able to do that. So um, we came with Le Fete du Rosé. I came up with that. But it was actually a spin on a huge champagne event that happens every year in either New York or London, where the top champagne producers and the top chefs come out and they do like this crazy dinner is super expensive and exclusive and that's called Le Fete du Champagne. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna take a spin on that and made a Le Fete du Rosé, which translates into the Rosé party. So now you you have the name, you, 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 you're you testing grapes, correct? The grapes or, yep. and whatnot, you're out there and like, how do you know, like, I mean, I know you've been in the industry for a while, but that taste, how do you know it's yeah. taste? Because So I kept this bottle as a souvenir bottle, but I taste, <laughs> I had some this weekend. Let me tell you. Okay. Let me tell you, I got a couple more bottles in the fridge right now. <laughs> but I know what it tastes like. But I guess what taste were you looking for when you when you wanted to get your own your your own? Yeah, I mean for I mean they were the more popular rose brands that were out at the time, and I would say they were a little bit more light in color and like pink, almost like water. But they had this high alcohol and acidic content, which I didn't like, right? Because you can only have a glass or so before you were ready to move on. Um, and then on the other side, they were like these big, dark, heavy rosés, which I didn't like that either. So I wanted something that was definitely more in the middle, gave you some good fruit, good finish, good mouthfeel, uh, but you can still drink a lot of it. And that was really the goal is like I wanted something that was versatile, that I could have it in the wintertime. I could have it in the summer. You can pair it with food. You can have it with pizza. You can smoke a cigar with it. And that was really the idea of like making, uh, changing the idea when you drink rosé and it's like so that was the idea we wanted rosé to be everywhere in every aspect of everybody's life so we had to have a specific sort of taste profile for that to happen wow so because uh, what i do now is i was telling you before i drink rosé all summer i sit yeah. back i relax any party i go to i bring my rosé i bring a rosé yeah. bring a bottle because i want to chill relax and enjoy myself and i yeah. and you're, and you're this is very refreshing thank you man i appreciate that relaxing you know what i mean it's like it's a chill sit here i can have a conversation and enjoy my day and go about yeah. it, you know so uh definitely refreshing so you're coming to the market with this i probably yeah. i mean i guess people probably like wow this how does this even happen but give us a little quick synopsis of like how do you get this to market and how do you get your name out there because i know it's pretty hard to get it out here and oh it's, it's definitely hard I, it's like the hardest thing i ever did but i think there's two things. One is I had worked in the business for so long. So that gives you a little bit of edge up on how and how to maneuver this three tier system. That is the alcohol industry, you know, relationships with retailers and hotels and restaurants and stuff to get me ahead a little faster. Uh, but it was also, I wouldn't say naive, but just like not thinking about failure, just like I can do it. Right. The true belief that I can make it happen was something that really pushed me over all the obstacles. Right. I never thought about it not working. Mm. Right. <laughs> when you have that sort of belief and guidance, you just don't even, I mean, I can take a punch right now and then move it on. It's like how fast you get up and recover. It's not about the issue of the problem itself. I love um, it. So 
things were were really instrumental in, in why we got to where we are today. Now we're now you I call it you disrupting the industry. You come in here. I saw a quote: the disrupting, making sure. But you're coming in there like I personally. I like to support anything that African Americans are doing out here, as far as anything business-wise. And when I see a drink or I see something like that or a clothing line, I try to support as much as possible. Yeah. Now, when you started out with this and you you got you got out there, you have relationships, you're building new hotels, you're out mm -hmm. there. Was it hard? Was it what was trials and tribulations did you have to go through to get to that point where you are right now? Like, where's the uh, sneak peek a little bit? Peek behind the curtain, just a little bit, because there's an <laughs> entrepreneur that's next to you that's coming out yeah. with something really cool that's like, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm getting beat up. I'm just tired, you know. What things would you say, trial tribulations that you've gone through? You're like, all right, I know I've seen this. This can help you out going down the road. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think, again, you, you're going to hear a lot of no's, which we certainly heard a lot of no's, and you can't take them personal. It's not a personal attack against you. I always tell everybody it's, it's not a no, it's just a not right now sort of scenario, right? So you just keep coming from that. But I think the biggest thing was um, being strategic about how we wanted to launch. Like we didn't want to be across the whole United States out the gate. When we first launched this thing in 2019, it was really a Miami play because that's where I was based and had the relationships. It was like, if we can grow the brand there and get it buzzed, being an international city that it is, then we can begin um, to expand. I think, you know, it's one of the things is when you come out and you try to be everything to everybody, you, you can't do it. Like it's virtually impossible. Um, and especially in the alcohol business, because we don't really control our route to market, meaning I can't sell directly to you. I have to sell to a distributor that distributor didn't sell it to a store or a restaurant. So it's a lot of people in between middlemen that can be gatekeepers mm -hmm. haters, or supporters. Um, so, you know, it's just navigating that and finding out who would be a supporter, who was a hater, <laughs> you know, and, and, and learning how to, you know, deal with them. Yeah, and that sounds uh, tell us how I started the podcast. It was pretty much all right, we're going Baltimore base. We're going DMV oh, base. Sorry, it's my dog in the background. But DMV base. We're going to keep on pushing it, keep on pushing it, keep on pushing it. And then now we're expanding out yep. past DC, going to New York. We're doing things in LA. We're doing mm -hmm. things where we can like you said, get that immediate market. So Miami. I mean, I love Miami, South Beach, yeah. Wild Wynwood. Wildwood, wherever, all that stuff down there. <laughs> that, that, that place down there, if you can make it down there, it goes everywhere because everybody yeah. travels to Miami, like you said. They go there Absolutely. for the weekend. You find out what's popping down there and like, all right, oh, I had this down in Miami. I need to go yep. there, bring you back. You know, when I go to Miami, my first stop is Brian 112. And I there get, you go. I, I, you know, you get the steak. I'm, I'm, and I have my, my, my martini. I'm sitting there. Yeah. And I know the vibe. And the bartender's like, oh, this is a hot drink down here. You need to try exactly. this. And so I, yep. I, I like how you thought about that. Um, how did, did Chris Paul come on the ride? How did this even happen? I mean, you're in a different space now. Like, how did yeah. the NBA find you or you found them? How did this connect? Um, so, you know, Chris has always been a huge supporter of, of Black-owned businesses and HBCUs. Right. So when the bubble, when the whole COVID thing happened, you know, we had some press hits and some mentions and the NBA bubble started. He actually was instrumental in getting us in the NBA bubble and we didn't know wow. how. Wow. So it just happened, right? So it was this thing we was we were seeing that resort in Disney ordering the product and everyone was like, what? Who's doing this? Well, it turns out that uh, one of my advisors who I didn't, he wasn't an advisor necessarily at that point, but we were starting that relationship was also one of his advisors. Oh, wow. So we had introduced wow. him to the product and Chris just loved it and started supporting. So it was a, almost a, yeah, it might've been a year, even longer before he came on 
uh, as an equity partner and investor, it, it was just him supporting the brand, which I love. So it literally was just one of those things where he was introduced by a mutual friend, liked the product, got us in the bubble, was drinking it and was supporting. And then wow. we finally came together and met, you know, after, you know, the champion, after the bubble was over and he, we just sat on the phone or Zoom and kind of just talked about common interests, love of wine, et cetera, before we even talked about, are we going to go be in business together? Yeah, because I, I, I just my research, I know Chris Paul, Carmel, all those guys drink wine. Mm -hmm. They wine, he has his own drinking, Carmel has his own drinking thing, yep. wine thing. And uh, so it makes sense that the NBA guys are doing that and leading the way and whatnot. So then you have another partnership that just happened. What, what was that one? Constellation? Or not just oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, to the one, yeah. remember the Constellation one about, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So Constellation, again, after the death of George Floyd and, you know, companies were um, questioned about what they were really doing to um, do diversity and, and diversity and inclusion initiatives. They started a fund for minority founders in the wine and spirits industry. Um, and we were the first recipient of that fund. Um, so that was announced in May of last year. And what that really does is they provide, you know, resources, intel, insight on how to really build and scale a brand. Um, so it's been a great partnership to date. Uh, and I expect to see even more in the future for sure. Wow. Now, when's next time I'm, I got people, when next time you come back to Baltimore doing an event, anything, anything <laughs> like that coming up or I got to have to ask because people are going to say, wait a minute, you didn't ask, is he coming back? I, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually there quite a bit. I mean, listen, I'm there to either see, you know, people who support us like the Atlas restaurant group. Uh, those guys, those brothers have been huge supporters. Uh, the Pendry, uh, uh, the other wine, Vino wine bar, wine bar. down in Bell's Point and off the rock. So I come back, visit my mom, and then I jump around. Oh, and then I can't ever forget uh, the guys at the Hotel Revival. Like, they were the first to keep in the city. Jason so, Bass yeah. and Downtown. Dante. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I go back and forth. I'm usually, I, I, I do a trip to D.C., and then I'll drive over to Baltimore and spend some time. But we're working on some events now. So I'm, you know, talking to John and a couple of people in the city that do some great stuff to see, you know, what we can do uh, in the fall and the winter. Because I want to keep the rosé momentum going. So I'm trying to explain to people you can drink rosé in, in the winter. So you'll see a lot of activity uh, from us this fall for sure. I love I love to hear that. Uh, you Do you have anything going, any new adventures going on besides the rosé right now? So we just uh, permanently launched a white wine called La Fête du Blanc, okay. um, which is also produced in France at the same vineyard. And that last year was just like a thank you to our customers for supporting limited edition. But I mean, it just took off. So now we're rolling that out as a full time uh, sister brand to uh, La Fête du Rosé. So that's that's exciting. I, I like that. You're just like, you know what? If it rolls, keep it rolling. Not, not, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I, like, I, a little background. This podcast wasn't originally for Baltimore. It wasn't. Oh, wow. It was all my college friends from Syracuse. We we're going to tell okay. stories. And, but when Baltimore it was like, we want more, I'm like, hey, I'm just going to keep it rolling. Yeah. I'm just going to let it go. had to let it go. But, you know, what things, what would you say to young entrepreneurs out there who want to get into the spirits and wine industry? And mm -hmm. they have, they, they're, they're trying to figure it out. They have good business back acumen. What would you say? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I think there's a couple of things. There's either you're going to go and work in the industry a little bit and really learn the inner workings, or you're going to bring someone on as an advisor or a partner that knows that, because this is like no other industry you've ever seen. Uh, the laws and the systems that are put in place are nuts. So it's not something you could just come out here and say, oh, I launched a brand and it's going to work. Right. It just It's just not that industry. And, and unlike fashion and beauty and all those sort of brands, which you can do that. Um, and I would just say, you know, listen, never give up, like keep going. You know, and this and people say that all the time, right? But it's not a blissful ignorance. Keep going. It's like keep pushing with the knowledge and the skills and 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 the team and the staff to keep going uh, in the right way and, and learn from that. 
Because the other thing is we have to, uh, especially minorities, understand the financials of run, running the business. Mm-hmm. What is your balance sheet look like? How's your cash flow? How much do you cost of goods? And, you know, we need to understand that part of it because it's not as simple as just starting the business and going. Right. I, and, I, and, you know, I've learned that during the podcast. I've learned that. Yeah. Right, but, you know what I mean? <laughs> Again, I'm working and I got my, I have a real, like, I'm like you, I got my, yeah. IT, but I'm doing, I'm doing IT, got my nine to five, but I'm doing this hobby. And it's like yeah. more and more, the demands more and more like, wh- who, what do you do? You know? So yeah. I, I love that, but here's a speed round for you. You know, I got to home for you. Speed round brunch or dinner. Oh, anything with some music and a party. So I say both. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm, now this is going to be, let's see if you still got your Baltimore card here. Okay. Balls or ice cream. Snowball. Okay, all right, all right. I had to make sure. <laughs> Favorite R and B group? Jodeci. All right, me too. Joke. Okay, yeah. all right. All right. <laughs> Favorite? Okay, crab cakes or crabs? As I've gotten older, it's crab cakes all day. Okay. Just you, I, you want I, Yeah, I get. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get it. I get it. And what was your favorite Super Super Bowl halftime performance? Oh, God, that's, that's my curveball question. I always throw yeah, yeah. some good ones. Oh man, that's why I'm like, oh man, I don't want to say anything. Uh, I mean, you can't go wrong. I'll take mine's is Prince, okay? Because it purple rain, it rained when I was singing purple rain. So that's why I said, I'm yeah, I give you that, but I'm gonna take Bruno Mars. Okay, oh, that was a good Crazy. one. That was a really yeah. good show. That was really good. Yeah. And what is the best advice you've ever received? Oof. Wow, that's a good one. Um to don't stay too long. So, and I, and I say that because we sometimes take jobs and careers and, and we know it's, or even relationships, when you know it's time to go mm-hmm. and you stay. And someone told me once about a job, don't stay too long. And it's been like a life lesson for me in general. I like that. I like that. That's, that's yeah. a good one. That's a good one. All right. Yeah. Well, you. where can we find you, the social media, all the brands? Where can, where, give us the websites, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Instagram is at Lafette Rose. That's L-A-F-E-T-E-R-O-S-E.com. The website is www.lafetterose.com. Uh, my Instagram is at Thurston Burston the Third, <laughs> which is pretty hilarious. And then, uh, of course, on our website, you can go into our store locator, put your zip code in, and it'll tell you all the stores in the area that are carrying or selling the product. All right. All right, folks. Again, thank you so much, folks. Again, I told you we have the heavy hitters. We have people. We got to celebrate people from Baltimore and beyond yes, and what they're doing, amazing things out here. We got to celebrate. That's what it's about, celebrating and giving people the flowers while they're here where we can talk with them. And it's, I, 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 I'm greatly appreciated. Hopefully, when you come back to Baltimore, we can hook up and sit down yes, and, and really do like just really. And I want to drink wine, rose with you. And, yeah, and let's, do a, let's do a No Picks After Dark podcast, Lafette Happy Hour somewhere. I, I, that's, still, that's done. I, yeah. it's, well, I will talk when I stop recording, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I, that would be kind of, that, I know you get a good crowd for that for sure. Yeah, we should do it. Let's make it happen. All right, people. Love, peace. We're out. Thank you guys. Baltimore Fiscal Partners is a boutique CPA firm specializing in accounting and consulting services for nonprofits, small businesses, and with experience running nonprofits and small businesses. They know that there's not always enough time at the end of the day for you to focus on your finances, whether it's monthly bookkeeping or an annual audit, tax preparation, or consulting, nonprofit or small business. Baltimore Fiscal Partners provides full range or tailored solutions that keep your goals and budget in mind. 
Learn more about Baltimore Fiscal Partners online at BaltimoreFiscal.com or follow them at Baltimore Fiscal on Facebook and Instagram.